Sorry that this happened. Um, oh, I'm not bringing. I'm not putting any of that in there. <laughs> I know you're gonna put some of that in there. It's gonna be really awkward. You have to cut out the next episode when I explain the female hernia process. <laughs> um, thanks, thanks for tuning. We appreciate uh, the 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 you coming here and uh, the you being here and the you spending the next amount of time with us in your uh, audio player of choice. We're literally in your brain right now. Yeah. Hmm. Well, crazy. I mean, we would still be in their brain even if, if we weren't, like, speaking and we were just looking at... Not everyone yeah. thinks about you all the time, Nick. No, they do. They do. <laughs> it's just otherwise, your mom, and even then, you're probably not the favorite child. Otherwise, I cease to exist. Hmm. But we are here to talk about one of my all-time faves, the 1982 hit film by... Actually, it wasn't a hit in 1982, <laughs> but the 1982 film by Ridley Scott... Blade Runner, and we are talking specifically the final cut, which was released in 2007. So my understanding, because I had to ask this multiple times before I made sure I looked at the right movie, <laughs> is that there's three or four different versions of this movie that exists in the world, and I had to make sure to watch the I right one. Technically, there's even more. I think there's like seven that's, versions. There's seven different versions. Is there any other movie that's a thing for? There's actually a lot. If you go back and look at like... Italian movies specifically, or that's at least my reference point, there's a million different versions between like dubbing or subbing and cutting out gore and adding subplots to make out for gore that was removed, and you get a dozen versions of a lot of films. I guess that makes sense if you, like, for uh, an international market, mm -hmm. like I know that like China has restrictions on what you can do, which makes sense, or like Oh, yeah, this one is dubbed, which feels like I guess it counts, but I feel like it counts less in my mind, mm -hmm. but uh, th this, my understanding of Blade Runner is that it's just like the director who has a bunch of different, not visions, but like, hey, this is what I think the movie is. No, actually, this is what I think the movie is when I don't have restrictions on it. No, no, this is the one that's the movie. Yeah, more just creative choices rather than language and rating barriers. And, and that was the problem that really plagued all of the cuts of Blade Runner up until the final cut. Even the oddly named director's cut, which you would assume <laughs> Ridley Scott would have been like, yeah, this is my, I approve this as the director. But famously, the studio just slapped that name on the film, called it a director's cut when really it was the cut the studio wanted. Mm -hmm. I personally think the director's cut might be better than the final cut, but ultimately the final cut is the definitive version of the movie. It's actually as Ridley Scott intended, therefore, it should be the one I think that anyone watched because that is the movie. Hmm. You pretend, for me at least, even though I like the director's cut, I pretend the others don't exist because this one does. I, um. They're all quite different. I'm pretty sure this, this is the first Ridley Scott movie I've seen. Ooh. That makes sense. Yeah. Because you don't watch movies and we haven't recommended a Ridley Scott <laughs> movie yet. But I feel like, you know, I've, I've seen other movies by other directors who you think are like, wow, they're kind of famous, right? And I feel like Ridley Scott <laughs> is like, wow, I'm kind of famous. Yeah, movies, I, right? I wouldn't so, be surprised if you had seen Alien at some point. Yeah, in passing, yeah. but which I haven't. So yeah. I don't know what else is big by him. I didn't really know what Blade Runner was going into it with the exception of... Um, I was familiar 
vaguely with the source material, the the like the original original book of uh, do robots do androids dream electric sheep something like that. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a short story by Philip K. Dick. Yeah, I, I was I was privy to that um, in, in like a very abstract sense, and then I thought that there was more running in Blade Runner. <laughs> like like, like physical, physical like around the track running. Hmm. Oh, you um, thought it was like a sports movie? No, I didn't think it was a sports movie. I knew it wasn't a sports movie, yeah. but I but I thought that there was just more some kind of sportiness involved. Okay. Um and I was privy to um like it being the idealistic noir neo noir sci fi, whatever the actual yeah. label we've just we've landed on is. Like I know that it has like an aesthetic that has influenced shit <laughs> so far into now. Yeah, you're um, not wrong. And that's kind of my only idea of what it was. I knew that they did the the twenty forty nine I still have no idea what that movie's about or if Harrison Ford's even in or if it's a continuation of the story or any of that. Um, I heard the dude talk on NPR about it once, and that's that's it. So I, I came into this pretty blind, even though if I, if I like made a list of movies that I, in theory, would have been happy watching for the show, like there's definitely been tiles that have been pitched that I've been like, Whew, gonna watch that now. Um, but like Blade Runner would have made the short list of movies that I've been told to watch or have heard about or think would be in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. That when you picked it, Nick, I'm like, oh, okay, this is, you know, something that I that I think I'm like excited to see. Um, and I don't I don't want to. I mean, I guess we're just gonna get into it. Um, I was wrong. No. <laughs> I was. I was wrong okay. Okay. about uh, my 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 interest, and I, I feel like my my top line is that um, when I was watching Blade Runner the other day, uh-huh. uh I really have you ever like I don't know, oh boy, been in a classroom <laughs> and just couldn't focus on a lecture. Yeah. Like you're sure. thinking about anything else. Yeah, that's or, or macroeconomics. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is your macroeconomics. This this feel this might have been my macroeconomics because I was sitting there trying to watch the movie and I constantly found myself like wanting to be distracted by other things. Like, oh, did I get a text message on? Oh, no, I didn't. Or like, oh man, <laughs> should I look this up on the internet? Or like just almost like daydreaming, thinking about like what's my dad doing? Or like what time is Nick <laughs> gonna get home? And I and I had to keep on bringing myself back to focus on the movie because I, 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 I had to for this. And I, I just, I'm like, do I have ADD? Like, am I str- like what? Why am I struggling so much to like physically sit here and watch this? Because that hasn't been the case with other movies that we've watched that I might have not wanted to watch at all. Right. But I'm like, oh, there's like something here, or like, oh, I got really into watching the Buster Keaton movie, or like, oh, like he, I, I didn't like Jurassic Park, but I sure did pay attention for all of it, and I just. Mm. I had a I had a very serious problem trying to pay attention while watching Blade Runner. That's interesting. I feel like this is the second time I watched it, and I definitely noticed I liked Blade Runner a lot the first time I watched it, but I felt like it was demanding of my attention to follow the plot as closely as I should. And this time I was surprised at how easy it was for me to 
follow the plot and why everything was happening. I think a lot of the way information is given to you in this movie isn't always very obvious and linear. You kind of watch a scene and then the next scene will give you the context for what you just saw. So I feel like that could play a part in... Did you feel that way? Kind of. Um, it, it felt like if, as soon as I diverted attention for a second, like I, I could miss something. But at the same mm -hmm. time, there's a lot of time in the movie where I feel like nothing is going on. Mm -hmm. And not like, a, oh, this isn't relevant to the plot. It's like, oh, this scene is over. And then we're going to like hang on this street and watch them walk away for 20 seconds. <laughs> like literal time where not much is going on. Yeah, I, I very much the first time I watched the movie, I was in a similar boat. I had to watch it for film class. And uh, it, like I said, this is like my, one of my favorite movies. But the first time I watched it, I sure I just fell asleep during it. <laughs> I was like, what the hell did I just watch? I was like, why do people like this movie? This is dumb. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I was like, well, maybe I didn't give it a fair shot. So I watched it again. And it really, having seen it once loosely, really helped uh paint a different picture in my mind when I watched it again and that's when I really kind of fell in love with it and, and I think up to this point I've probably seen it like 10-15 times like it's just wow. it's like a movie that I act actively enjoy like putting on when I'm bored and I'll fall asleep to it mm. just because I, I think the the soundtrack is gorgeous and I think that's like if I do happen to look up at the screen there's usually something pretty happening something like dreamlike and serene almost mm. um, but let's get right into what Blade Runner is Blade Runner is a 1982 science fiction film directed by Ridley Scott and written by Hampton Fancher and David Peoples. It stars Harrison Ford, Rutger Hauer, and Sean Young. It is loosely based on Philip K. Dick's novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which was released in 1968. The film is set in the dystopian future or contemporary time of Los Angeles of 2019, in which synthetic humans known as replicants are bioengineered by the powerful Tyrell Corporation to work on off-world colonies. When a fugitive group of Nexus 6 replicants, led by Roy Batty, escape back to Earth, burnt-out cop Rick Deckard, Harrison Ford, reluctantly agrees to hunt them all down. I don't want to blow up your spot. Were you just reading off Wikipedia? Yeah. Is that plagiarism? No. Is that I, plagiarism, Carl? I just cited it. As long as you say it's from Wikipedia. I just cited it. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, you're welcome. Um, yeah, Los Angeles, right? Rad. That's like modern times. What happened to the whole flying car thing? Do you, uh, I, I, I really wavered back and forth on the aesthetic of the movie of being like, this is cool, but I feel like in 2019, it's like, this is cool in theory, but like dated cool. Yeah, it's definitely a retro, retro 1980s version of what the future could potentially look like. What was, how did they make a lot of that stuff? It looked like there was a lot of like uh, real props that were made that were like shot to be big and not a mm -hmm. ton of CGI. Yeah. A no, lot it was a lot, of, a lot of modeling and a lot of like matte painting. It, it's straight up like the tower that we see, the police tower, that's straight up a vacuum cleaner turned upside down <laughs> that they shot cleverly. Like it's stuff that's just practically laying around and people just knew how to shoot things and paint things but they did actually build a full-on street set for blade runner in downtown la back in the day when they were shooting this film there's actually a really cool documentary called dangerous days the making of blade runner and it is 
fascinating for both a look at how they created the practical world of Blade Runner and also like some of the script decisions and going back and forth on the different iterations of the movie. It is infinitely fascinating and it's like two hours long. It looks like it had to be expensive because of just all the different very intricate sets they had slash destroyed slash I couldn't imagine from like um set design or prop building perspective the idea of having to make all of the stuff they made and then being like it all has to be hella waterproof too yeah because everything in that movie gets fucking drenched <laughs> everything like I, I feel like the challenge of building is, is big enough in and of itself, but then like, hey, build it, and also we're going to run so much water on it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things in that movie are also water damaged. Yeah. yeah. Like, intentionally so. They're, they look beat up. It's not a pristine future, so. Yeah, I, I think that's one of my favorite things about this movie, is while it is a futuristic look at what we could be as an American society, it's definitely very much re-examining it in the way a William Gibson would, in that seeing cutting-edge technology five years past its expiration date being used as a paperweight. Mm -hmm. Something that used to be the pinnacle of technology that has now kind of been cast aside because it's just always been there and you kind of take new technology for granted after a while. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, if you look at anyone's house right now, it's not full of furniture and tech that all came out in 2019. It's, it's a whole 10 years of history and everything gets beat up and it's what the future will look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, now, Joey, you, you mentioned briefly talking about this. You knew that it was um, kind of like the poster child for neo-noir, like detective-style thrillers. Um, but was there anything about that kind of a labeling that really stood out to you just by watching the movie? Is there anything that you think would fall under that category? Because, like, it's very stereotypical of, like, pulling the cop out of retirement to, mm -hmm. to do one last job kind of thing. Yeah, those are like a lot of my notes of like, oh, look at this reluctant cop who used to like do a thing and now doesn't want to do a thing anymore. And oh, I guess he's going to do it anyways because he has some kind of moral obligation. Oh, look at his girlfriend. He probably doesn't like her because she's a robot. But then guess <laughs> what? He turns around and ends up liking her after a while because he realizes that robots are actually kind of like people and he was wrong the whole time. Like, give... Is it, it, I might be oversimplifying it, but I feel like I'm not entirely. And then was it, has it come of age and now we can reflect back on it and be like, well, this seems simple-ish or. I think a lot of the things that you're considering simple are almost referential in this movie. Like it's, those plot points are, are noir plot points. And this was a movie that set out to make a, a, a different version of a noir so it it does fold in those things but i don't think it's trying to tell the exact same story as a noir film it's trying to use those shortcuts to tell a more interesting story about humanity and work and that kind of stuff would be my answer i guess yeah you have to you have to like peel back the layers of like this is what a noir story is and then realize that underneath there is this whole story of you know what is it to be a human yeah. Or, uh, you know, classism in whatever the current year is, or um, I don't know what else. I, I think there's something to look at, like the, the capitalist nature of how, like, the, the privatization of corporations have kind of controlled what L.A. seems kind of like a city-state almost, and it feels like it's just being controlled by the Tyrell Corporation to some extent. So just the fact that private companies are exhibiting this kind of powerful... I guess hand in the way cities are structured is something that we see now 
it's something that really didn't see back in 1980 when this was coming out but now amazons are literally taking over uh, old cities and and really just gentrifying and really trying to wash out that which they deem should not be there yeah the apple campus looks crazy and futuristic and you know it's, it's not too far off from having a giant pyramid apartment complex building where all the rich yeah. people live all the rich people who i think are all white i don't know if that's like a like a like a casting choice or a political commentary that's like built in there but i'm like all the rich people are white and all the people who don't have money are multi-gender gendered well, all, fuck me well all the people <laughs> racial who, all the people who are people of color in this film are either um like seen roaming the streets they are the lower level scientist positions uh we see the eye doctor who's clearly like putting in hours in a job where it's like he's alone and it's pretty late at night yeah. and um uh, the other, the only other people we really see late at night are people who are, um, I, I don't know what the appropriate word is. They're much smaller in stature mm. than others, but like that's that's what we see more often at night. There's not just like, for lack of a better word, just Joe Schmo walking around. They are distinct looking people, and I think that is on purpose. Mm. We we they, they are people who are causing trouble. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lack of, of a public space that is actually intended for public usage in that future where the rich people stay indoors, stay in their company, stay in, in private ownerships. And it's only people who don't have resources who are forced into uncomfortable public places. There's no public resources anymore. And it seems like there's also restricted areas of the city that the police are constantly trying to reinforce. Um, there's a point where Deckard is outside of the first apartment he goes to and a cop pulls him over He's like, hey, do you have permission to be here? He goes, here's my paperwork. He's all right. Have a good night. Mm. That's it they, But like the cops are actively looking for people to be in places. They shouldn't be which is very like police state-esque like there, There's clearly they don't want riffraff somewhere. It's definitely like painting a picture of a, of a you know dystopic future that you probably don't want to live in like that's their intent of like this is the end game of what could become of this like hey guys be a little bit wary about it so i feel like that's cool that, that you know they uh i guess there's a lot of sci-fi that f predicts the future or like kind of guides where we go tech wise but i feel like this sci-fi is less based around the technology and more based around the human element of yeah hey <laughs> this could happen and we're living in a world where it's not it, it not happened but it's not far off yeah and it's it's made in the 80s so trying to think about what what did the future look like to people living through the 80s which is like this huge rise of pop consumerism and you see that really present in the movie and it's just those pan am billboards yeah the only i mean the only source of light half the time is an advertisement and you see you do really see uh the american uh mindset at the time of both being xenophobic of japan but also being very welcoming of a lot of the technology that was being introduced during the bubble economy of japan in the mid to in the early to uh late 80s and that really just drove competition competition uh, between the U.S. and Japan to create cutting-edge technology. And the thing that I appreciate about Blade Runner is, at this point, it seems so stereotypical, but Los Angeles, Los Angeles has really turned into this truly homogenized 
blending pot, melting pot of different cultures that results in a new language that's spoken that is a combination of like uh, Japanese, Tagalog, and like two other languages. And it's just like Southeast Asian languages combined with a few Middle Eastern ones. And that's what Edward James almost character speaks in mm. this movie. And that's a, a very specific tongue. And it's almost like of the, of the street level. That, that's the vibe that I got from it. Or, or no, I'm sorry. It is of a higher level because he kind of looks down on Deckard for not being able to speak it properly. Mm. So I, I do appreciate that it does have this natural look at what Los Angeles will likely become. But, but let's start at the beginning of the movie real quick. Um, it's really jarring. It opens in a way that a lot of movies don't, where we are met in an interview between Leon and a uh, police officer, an investigator named Holden. And Holden is conducting a test on Leon, asking him all sorts of theoretical questions. What would you do if you found a turtle in the desert upside down? What do you do? And how did you feel about that opening scene that, that culminates with uh, Leon rising when prompted uh, what he thinks about his mother and shoots Holden? What did you think about that entire setup? Intentionally uncomfortable. How so? I mean, it's shot with two people who are like very far apart away from each other that are kind of small in frame. And you're seeing a lot of like, oh, this is clearly a, there's a power dynamic here where one person is, uh, I think you presume by the way that they're acting all skeevy to be not a human because before that you're met with like the scrolling star wars text of like in a galaxy far far away fucking robots are bad and bullshit um <laughs> that's exactly what it is <laughs> but, but now do you say do you think that they he is asking a question because when i first watched it i was like i think they're trying to make me think that leon is a uh, maybe not as intelligent mm -hmm. as holden like there's definitely that kind of power dynamic of I am smarter than you and I'm trying to catch you in a moment of error but ultimately the scene is trying to decide whether or not Leon is in fact a replicant a robot something that we have been conditioned to think is smart by definition so I think that that's a fun look at hey maybe in this future not all robots are as intelligent as you think they are they speak slower they get kind of confused sometimes and I think it really does a good job of showcasing the humanity and I don't think Leon's, I don't, I don't think any of the replicants in this movie are bad people. I think they are animals who have been pushed into a corner and are now lash, lashing out as a result of being cornered. And I think that's what we see with Leon here. His fight or flight kicks in and that's when he rises to, to shoot Holden. How do you, how do you feel about the robot, the replicants? They're not, they're not robots, they're androids. Yeah, I mean, do we? I, what's the distinction exactly? Uh, isn't it that they're Android, based off of human cells or something? Androids have like bi, uh, what is it, bioorganic matter, whereas mm -hmm. robots are just metal and stuff like that. Okay, so the android dude shoots the human dude, and you're like, up, oh, well, we knew they were scary and on Earth. Yeah, I, and it definitely shows. Like, okay, now I get why people might want to stop them. Mm -hmm. But how would you feel about that opening, Cole? I it feels very hostile. And I guess invasive because it's set up like an interrogation, but normally an interrogation is going to be trying to find some external information about someone, whether they did something or, or talked to someone or are guilty of an external crime. But it's that same hostility, but it's about like the core of who you are as a person or as not a person, which just feels much grosser to me. Mm -hmm. It's what I was struck by. I 
You said the intro, the scrolling text, though, tells you that androids are bad people. Was that was that genuinely like the the TLDR you get from the text in the beginning? Uh, okay, if, if I'm a little bit more serious, yeah. um, if if I was to actually do a TLDR of the text, it is, it's like, hey, we're in the future. Uh, humans uh, made fake humans to be slaves, and then. They realized that that was a bad idea because some of them started acting poorly. And there are people who have to kill the bad robots because robots are bad. So I would still keep the... Uh, when I'm reading that intro in the beginning, mm -hmm. I feel like there's a heavily implied, at least on my reading, like, androids, robots are bad. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're outlawed. So if your government mm -hmm. tells you that something is outlawed, it's clearly because it's bad. Yeah, and I'm just a shill. <laughs> <laughs> but after that introduction, we are quickly introduced to a brand new character who looks an awful lot like Holden. Like, I think Harrison Ford and the actor who play Holden look a lot alike. <laughs> so when I first watched this movie, I was like, wait, what? he's fine. What's going on? He's sitting in the noodle bar eating noodles. But they are, in fact, two different people. Um, but what was your first impression of Deckard? Because we meet him as he orders noodles in this little street ramen shop. And Edwards James almost character, whose name I'm forgetting right now, uh, slips my mind. But he mustache dude. Yeah, basically he speaks to him in this new language, and the ramen shop owner explains to him. He says you're a Blade Runner, and he needs you to go with him. What what, what did you think of Deckard, our quote unquote hero? This guy's kind of boring. Boring. Interesting. That's one of the most interesting things I've heard anyone say about Harrison Ford. He's just like, hey guys, I'm just, uh, like, I guess I wanted four noodles, but I'm gonna get two instead, okay? Like, oh, I guess, oh uh, yeah, I'm gonna used to be a blade. I don't want to go with you to the cops. I don't, I don't do that anymore. Okay, I guess I'm gonna go. <laughs> Carl, Carl, you're your first friend. <laughs> I uh, was struck by how much he reminds me of Bruce Willis's character in Fifth Element because that was my formative like sci-fi movie, mm -hmm. and I just realize how much i mean all sci-fi movies after blade runner pull from blade runner but specifically that character feels very very much a shadow of deckard that's what i was thinking about a lot in the beginning and how did you feel about the practical like police uh like flying car taking off like the dash systems are very much like a popular aesthetic now like the the vaporwave style old school monitors that are all like lcd based like what do you think about the practical liftoff? Because I know you're you're a sucker for how we do special effects. I was just like th that more than a lot of the other stuff felt like the like the dated retro sci-fi. Mm. And I think looking at it in the lens of when this movie came out in theaters is very different than like looking at it now and knowing like where we've come as a society or what we what we idealize and fantasize about. Because I'm just like this feels. This feels like the Jetsons almost. Interesting. <laughs> Have you seen the Jetsons? How dare you? <laughs> I used to watch a very moderate amount of Boomerang. Okay. That, but, the, but the Jetsons are utopian. Everything's happy there. And nothing is happy. <laughs> no, not, not nothing is happy. Most people are very unhappy in, in yeah. Blade Runner Los Angeles. I think that J Blade Runner is the aftermath of when the utopian society of Jetsons doesn't work. Because I, I do think that the technology and the look is pretty similar if you were to put cover it in rain and then like mm. have the paint fade away for after a while. Like I, I think that I, I see what you're coming at it with. Um 
Yeah, so Harrison Ford does go back and he does like the reluctant, like, I'm no, I'm an alcoholic and I'm not a cop anymore. Uh, well, I guess I gotta do the job now. And then uh, you, and you have the most stereotypical, like, police chief sit him down. <laughs> All right, Decker, we're bringing you, we, we gotta chase down four skin jobs, he calls them. You have the leader, played by Rucker Hauer, Roy Batty. You have uh, a pleasure model, he points out, uh, named Pris. There is Leon, a worker model, and that's it, right? There's another female. There's two. Yeah. There's two females. Pris. The other oh, female. Yeah, the like one a... who paints her eyes, right? That's Pris. That's Pris. That's Pris. Oh, the model one. The dancer. The dancer. Mm -hmm. I forget snake, her name. Snake girl. Snake girl. She's a snake girl. So those are the skin jobs, and um, you know his job is to just straight up hunt them down and kill them, and that's really the core of the investigative work that we see in Blade Runner. Uh, Deckard spends a lot of his time investigating where they used to be, um, digging around for clues and evidence. Um, it's where we get the iconic, uh, like, put a picture in a, com a computer scanner. It's like, stop there, zoom in, enhance. Uh, Some CSI shit. Yeah, yeah. It, like, I think it looks way cooler than what we see in most CSI shit. Yeah, I love, I love that scene and that weird tech. It, yeah, no, that, that was cool. Because mm -hmm. it never seems like it's crystal clear. Like, you do see the quality of the imagery go down a little bit as he zooms in, mm -hmm. but it just feels so tactile and just, like, it, it feels so believable in the world that we're being presented. Um, and he has a very, very cool apartment for being somewhere <laughs> probably in downtown L.A. It's so modern and urban. <laughs> he has a bed that can turn into a couch in, in some very cool ways. Like, very, very cool guy Deckard is. And some would argue a dreamboat, especially in the 80s. Harrison Ford was... His hairline's not doing that good. What? It's fine. Yeah, he's fine. I also like him way more with short hair than in... Yeah. I think like, that, yeah. Floppy long hair. But I feel like he was also doing the male pattern baldness thing. That's fine. Am I misremembering? Doesn't, that doesn't bother me, though. It doesn't bother Just, you? like, the littlest bit of where it goes in on the sides, that's fine. That's a look. Also, big fan of the shirt he's wearing. The shirt with the tie and the, the trench coat. Ooh. Mm. Big, big, big fan. Um, but... Before he goes to investigate, he, he decides to stop by, and this is where I'll really truncate a lot of this, is um, his introduction to Rachel, to Tyrell, and how that really paints his interactions with the replicants yeah. moving forward. Tyrell is Steve Jobs, and Rachel is his assistant who is a robot but doesn't know she's a robot. Correct. And then Harrison Ford's like, dude, you know she's a robot? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, of course she's a robot. And it's just truly a test. Like, okay, does this guy really know what he's doing? Um, so he's good at his job because one of the things that I thought was, you know, the most interesting uh, pieces of dialogue happened both in that in, in like that little scene where uh, where robot lady asks like, oh, hey, like, are you worried that you ever get this wrong? Because he can kill people in theory who aren't robots, mm -hmm. which is, you know, something that I thought about when I was watching. So I'm like, I'm glad that they're acknowledging this like in world, mm -hmm. like surely there has to be a non you know, zero amount of error that happens when you're yeah. doing the Blade Runner job, right? Mm -hmm. And then also, um, hey, have you ever taken this, the test on yourself? And there just isn't an answer. And I'm like, oh, so he's also a robot. Cool. <laughs> interesting. Interesting? Yeah, no, it's interesting. Why is it interesting? Yeah, I, I is think it, that's a very interesting conclusion to draw from that moment. Is there another conclusion to draw from that moment? Yeah. I think that moment asks the question rather than answers it. Okay. So I was just, re I, I'm too resolute <laughs> too soon in Harrison Ford's a robot. 
I, yeah. I think so, but you can also clearly see that that is a moment where Deckard takes an interest in Rachel. And I think unpacking their relationship is probably one of the more complicated parts of Blade Runner that has always challenged me because he straight up rapes her at a later point in the movie. Mm. And it is the most uncomfortable, like awkward, painful to watch. And just like, oh, Deckard, you're not a good person. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I want to wrestle with that a little bit because they're in this world there are these replicants that are quote unquote pleasure models that their purpose is for people to have sex with them makes sense but rachel seems so much different like right away deckard should have recognized this is very different than every other experience i've been uh subjected to rachel feels i think he believes rachel feels like a, a human being from the moment they meet she just arbitrarily the, the Voight-Kampf test decides that she is a replicant, therefore she is now lesser than a human. So he has the right to treat her in whatever way he's, he sees fit. So why is it that we have such a hard time watching that scene? Is it because she looks like a human, therefore we feel bad? Is it because our, our old 2019 <laughs> minds don't understand what's happening in this new version of 2019? Like, what, what, what is going on in this scene? I, similarly, the complication I have with this movie is it feels like, if you want to read it very politically, it feels like a movie that is calling a lot of systems and a lot of structures immoral and a problem, but rather than answer that with any sort of collective organization or radicalization, he finds a way out. He just leaves and he leaves it all behind. And I think this is a similar thing where he's, he's just participating. This is a scene that just shows us that he doesn't believe replicants are capable of of anything better than what they have and it doesn't he is not go, going to complicate that question yeah he, for me he, he's part of the problem in a way he, like, he perpetuates it yeah mm. Mm. and i think we see that kind of further cemented with every subsequent replicant kill that happens in the movie i i think it begins with uh I forget the, the snake charmer mm -hmm. dancer lady. Yeah, uh, where that really feels like the most like, oh, you definitely messed up. This is not a replicant that you killed because I feel like outside of like Roy's, it's almost the most tragic mm -hmm. in the way Snake Lady dies because it, it very much feels like a mistake when she is running through the glass and Deckard is taking aim and firing at her. You really see the pain. That that's unfolding. Yeah. So many people. So many people, in a crowded area, you just start starting unloading a gun into. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, cops do that all the time, though, right? Uh, it, I was like, "Whoa, dude! <laughs> you have some like gnarly power." Who just like, and it's not like this guy is a, a sharpshooter. He definitely misses quite a few shots. You're shooting into a crowd, Harrison. What are you doing? Um, yeah, that, the, I think the more interesting part of like hanging out with Snake Lady is, is the idea that, um, you know, they even make, uh, robot animals and even robot animals are less than real animals, just like in literal value. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, of course the snake isn't real. Like, you can't get a foreign <laughs> real snake. It's like, oh, wow. So like there's fake animals too. So we're like going full circle on, not full circle, but like we're, we're really exploring like, the value of everything that's artificial is less than 
is perceived to be less than. Yeah, because there's a um, you know limited resources at this point in the future, and I think that's something that actually gets touched on even more in Blade Runner twenty forty nine in some pretty interesting ways. Um, but when when Deckard kills Snake Lady, do you think that he thinks he messed up? Or is he pretty sure of himself? Well, he doesn't. He's not happy, right? Because he goes and drowns himself in more booze like the alcoholic he is. So that's kind of your clue that like, oh, man, I'm not. I don't feel great about this. I, I agree, but I don't think it represents any like turning point or any different experience than the experience he's probably had his whole career. It's just another it's, kill. Yeah. And he feels kind of bad about it. Yeah. Because, you know, why shouldn't he? Mm-hmm. Like, it is something that is kind of alarming, and it's something that is, like, it's not every day you shoot a gun and at something, and then it falls down and doesn't move anymore. Yeah. But, but after that death, we quickly follow it up with Leon's death, where Leon corners Deckard, and Deckard's about to die. We get the, the famous line, wake up. Time to die. <laughs> and as Leon starts suffocating Deckard, uh, he gets shot in the head, and it's revealed that Rachel followed Deckard and picked up Deckard's gun and shot Leon square in the head. And now we finally have our first robot-on-robot, replicant-on-replicant uh, replicant kill. And I think that she is shaken in a way that feels still very human, someone who is shell-shocked, that they've taken their first life, and now they are trying to process it, and in trying to process it with Deckard, because like, you know, like, you know, whoa, dude, like, like robots are like kind of just like people, man. Like, what's really the difference, dog? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what this voice. <laughs> means. Well, see, the the thing you're doing right now makes me feel like that's like you just got out of the movie Chappie, where it very hits you <laughs> over the head. It hits you like super hard over the head with like, dude, what if robots were like human? Wouldn't that be crazy? And it's like, yeah, man, that'd be messed up. But I, I really don't think, and, and again, I, I might be biased in this, but I really don't think Blade Runner is as heavy-handed as you make it out to be because I, I do think there is a subtlety and there is there is no exposition, really. It's just all, like, within the moment, and it all feels like, you know, like the, the in-world actions and the words coming out of people's mouth just feel like the way people would naturally react to things like this happening, and it's up to the audience to interpret it. Which I, I believe to be the way cinema and, like, storytelling should unfold on this particular medium. Mm-hmm. Um, but was it too heavy-handed for you? Like Maybe I feel like it's not that subtle. Maybe I wasn't, like, engaged enough or paying enough close attention to, like, tease out or try and... I'm, I'm just like, okay, what are they doing? Okay, yeah, the uh, robots, people, same thing, got it. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, th- th- that's probably an oversimplification from the fact of me almost paying too little attention and just like trying to keep up with tea leaves to, to move on. And I guess to parallel Deckard's storyline, we also have a competing storyline with Roy and his batch of surviving replicants who are trying to find their maker. I couldn't think of a funny name to call him. Like, I wanted to go with Eminem originally, but, like, he isn't, like, too eminem But then he looks, like, a little bit Bowie-esque. But, like, I don't I don't know what to make fun of him and actually call him because it's... Rucker Hauer is an icon, <laughs> and he just died, you jerk. Oh, I'm going to go... I'm going to keep going with Eminem because fucking Slim, Robot Slim Shady was like, hey, guys, I just want to live longer. Yeah, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. Don't most humans want to live longer? Yeah, because, like, robots and humans are, like, the same thing, man. <laughs> but I don't think that's an inherently robot-specific ask. 
Yeah. No. I, yeah, you're you're right. It's self-preservation, and that's the the thing. He's not evil. I think. What what is your take on Roy? Because we do get a lot of him, especially in the final act of the film. Roy behaves very unusual compared to a lot of other replicants. And I have my opinions on how that warehouse encounter unfolds, or how the apartment encounter unfolds at the end of the movie. Yeah. But what? Let's start with Joey. Joey, what do you think of Rucker Hauer, Roy Batty's howls at the moon? The way he expresses emotion. Um, he, he loves kissing things on the lips. <laughs> he loves holding things tight. And it almost seems like he's malfunctioning, but I think there's more to it than that. I th well, he's privy to himself about to die, right? Mm -hmm. that, that, like, that's a thing? Yeah, he's, I, he's aware of his own expiration date because in this world, the replicants have a failsafe built in that causes them to age rapidly and they die after four years. Four years. So I, I think that he's just like, well, I want to feel as human as possible because, like, I understand that I'm going to die and, like, the things that makes us – one of the things that makes us so human is our own, you know, uh, knowledge of, of death. So, like, I am – I want to feel and act and be just as human as a real human because I am, like, privy to my own self-exploration. So it's like uh, – it feels like a lot of stuff he was doing was in – like trying to feel alive mm -hmm. because he knows he's going to die. So it's like, oh, I'm going to die tomorrow. I should go skydiving probably. Never done that before. Like I feel like that's kind of the path that he was on. Cool. Yeah, I feel like uh, more like he's learning, like the experience of, of reconciling your own expiration and rejecting your assignment as a robot and, and going out independently. And all those things are... are pushing him on a path towards humanity and that is the weird consequence you get like like someone in puberty like trying to figure out how to socially interact he's like going through those experiences like all his humor is so strange but but he's making an effort to make jokes and that feels like unique to him i think so i, I feel like he's he's incomplete and you're seeing how like, weird that is kind of tragic yeah and you kind of see the problem of humanity i think in that like we live we we have such high highs as humans but it gets drawn out over a long period of time so to see it all distilled into these final minutes really is i think kind of upsetting for us because we all had that moment when we were a kid we might have howled in the middle of a weird <laughs> conversation or i do that in the middle of target sometimes i'm like Woohoo! or like I, I really do love the way he he greets and like sees people with with a prolonged kiss on the lips because that is the most i guess extreme way of showing love mm -hmm. in a way that's just like i am this seems like someone misinterpreted how kisses work yeah but is also not wrong mm -hmm. with how they are trying to portray it and it does really feel like he is trying to be the most human he possibly can be in his final moments but he's also chasing down Deckard through this apartment complex. And it's kind of scary because he's kind of a Terminator. And he's a half-naked, very buff, large replicant man chasing down a, a broken-handed Deckard who has now escaped to the roof. And then we, of course, have one of the most iconic movement, movie moments of all time where Deckard goes into this beautiful monologue about what it means to live and what it means to be human. And he, he delivers the uh, improvised line of uh, all those memories will be lost in time, 
like tears and rain, time to die. Did that resonate with you at all? Like that monologue being something that was famous or something that was something that's called attention to you off? Boy, do I have an unsatisfying answer. No. <laughs> oh, that, that's okay. I feel like I, I almost feel bad now for being like, oh man, this is like a, this is like a cinema history moment. It's just kind of like, whoosh. No, oh, yeah, it's, it's a definitely Def a thing that gets called attention to a lot of times. It definitely wished over me. I'm like, oh, here's uh, I, I, it's not even like I was like poo pooing on. I'm just like, yeah, okay. It's just a monologue in it's, a movie. Yeah, it's just like a monologue in a movie. He's in the rain. Slim Shady was very wet. He's like, I'm gonna die <laughs> soon. Did, did that stand out to you when you first saw the movie, mm -hmm. Coral? Yeah, it was words that I've known that I didn't realize were from that scene. Yeah. So it stuck out to me. Um, for me, that, that moment feels like that is when he surpasses Deckard in the capacity for humanity, and that's what that signifies when I watch it. He, they are the, the Tyrell Corporation motto for the replicants is more human than human, and I think at that moment, and I, I honestly do think that it, it happens with each of the replicants we see in the movie, they are more human than human, because in fact, the humans that we've been presented with at every possible turn in this movie aren't particularly nice they aren't they aren't they're very cold and i would argue more robotic than the replicants i think that's definitely something that they're trying to hammer home mm -hmm. and uh what, what do you think about the roy's final act of he has the ability to drop deckard off the the roof of the building but instead saves it aren't robots not supposed to kill robots that's a robot theory but they are not robots that's a, a law of robotics that you might see in a movie called. Uh, okay, let me let me use proper I, terms. Aren't these it. aren't these androids not supposed to kill other androids? But we've already seen it's already established early on that. But she's do. she's like an advanced model. No, like in the opening text. Yeah. That that these slaves have decided to overthrow their slave owners and killed them. But they're killing humans. Yeah. But Deckard's not a human. But I don't think there would be any. There's no robot versus robot law. Yeah. Like, if anything, that'd be like a thing that's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> because in this world, there are probably warrior replicants who are like entertainers who do fight other replicants. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a replicant fight club just down the street from where this movie takes place. Mm -hmm. Like, it seems very in-world. So, so why does he save Deckard? And if Deckard's also a replicant, he couldn't be a Blade Runner by your rules because his whole job's killing other replicants. Yeah. No, you're right. So, so what do you make of Roy Batty saving Deckard in his final moments? It's okay if you don't have an answer. I'm just I don't because you're deconstructing mine of like, I don't think the robots <laughs> like to kill all the robots. But yeah. I mean, Deckard didn't know he was a robot. I wonder if he killed any robots after he realized he was a robot. Mm. Do you mm. think he had a moment of realization in the film? Well, the whole, the whole unicorn thing at the end is like, oh, hey, oh, that was also a fake memory. Fuck. Yeah. yeah, that that that's the thing that really does point to Deckard being a replicant, and in fact, it was the thing that is added to the uh, final cut of the movie because in the director's cut of the movie, it very much leads the audience thinking that Deckard is indeed a human, whereas the final cut paints him very much as a replicant. Interesting. And Ridley Scott has said specifically that he is a replicant, and it's not a question. But but what? I ask you, now that you know there is an ending where Deckard is a human, what is the more interesting ending? 
I mean, if Deckard is a human, that's probably more interesting because that probably means that Deckard is just like supremely fucked up and broken. Like, if he's a robot, he's just, like, doing a job, and he's very good at it and very specialized, and, like, oh, this is a person who, like, is so in the weeds, he's just like, you know, the girl that he saw earlier, and he, like, doesn't really realize what he is. So I feel like him being a human almost ex is, is, is more interesting. I, I do think the final cut actually cheapens what the point of the movie is. And I, I think that if Deckard would have been a human, I think it really does hammer the home the point that, hey, maybe you humans watching this movie should try and be a little more human because it'd be better in the long run. Sure. I think, I think him being a replicant does push towards a different question of what, what creates humanity in something because then you have, you have these two replicants and one of them is able to push further through sheer will towards humanity and the other one just doesn't and i think that's much more of an interesting question than like who's better androids or humans kind mm -hmm. of yeah yeah i can see that as well i definitely see that but i think that's also it's just the top line of you know what is it to be human which is the which is like the, the top level takeaway which i think is the same regardless of the outcome of yeah. if deckard is a is, is is a robot or not yeah and I do think that the ending of the movie also reinforces the differences between a noir and a neo-noir, whereas noirs are traditionally, like, pretty by the book. The detective is the hero at the end of the day, and, they, you know, he rides off with the babe and the, into the sunset and all is hunky-dory, whereas a neo-noir really understands that the real world doesn't work that way and often leaves the hero feeling less than heroic by the end of it and I, I would argue broken that's something that we see in like chinatown it's something that we see in this it's something that we see in drive anything i, I think that is a defining it's a deconstruction of the noir and detective thriller spoiled drive i was gonna watch that eventually it, i trust I don't me think I you did it. <laughs> <laughs> trust me i did it um but yeah i, I i'm not a big fan of is the, I forget, is the final cut ending the one where the car is driving off into the forest? Or did they end, does it roll credits after the elevator's door, elevator doors close? Oh, I th there's, there's no weird, like, car scene. Yeah, so yeah, that was in um, the, the original theatrical release of the movie. In addition to having VO, like voiceover narration of Harrison Ford, describing everything that's happening in the movie because American audiences are, according to the studio, too dumb to understand what's happening. Uh, it also adds this weird happy ending where the elevator doors close and the credits roll on a car driving through a forest and it's implied that they escape from LA and they are out now out in nature. Hmm. I hate that ending. And, and, in, <laughs> and in fact, everything's fine. That wasn't actually shot for the movie. It's just regurgitated footage from The Shining <laughs> that they tacked on. So it's from a completely different movie that they just tacked on. Dude, Hollywood's crazy like that. I just don't understand how people in studios get this into this position of power that make these decisions because it's like these are terrible decisions. Oh, I, after I, working, <laughs> after working with people who are studio executives, I think I understand now how this happens. I mean, I do too, but it's still depressing at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. One day we'll have really cool jobs, and then someone will complain about us like we're those people. For sure. Yeah. 
Or not, because maybe maybe Nick will like save himself, but I'm sure one day we'll make horrible decisions, Coral. Yeah, if you let me, I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, that's that's most of it. I I, I wanted I, I I wanted to touch quickly on um, uh, I liked the the motifs of eyes. Why? Uh, I thought it was cool that like another way to determine like just the, the the machine was looking at an iris response to like determine human versus not human. All everything that wasn't human had like a weird glow out of their eyes. Um, the eye doctor was so important to like uh, fucking slim shady living longer. Um, <laughs> ho- ho- uh, Steve Jobs was murdered by having his eyes his eyes gouged out. gouged out, which was harder for me to watch than. Anything in any horror movie we've seen. I don't like seeing eyes get gouged. I I hate eye stuff. <laughs> if you if you want to torture me, like I I've seen literal ISIS videos on the internet, which I'm not I'm not proud of. I'm really not proud of. I, I'm but like just for reference, if you're like that or like like an eye thing, I'm like I I really don't like eye things. Well, well I hate to just hit you over the head with like weird film slash literary nick but the ancient greeks believed that the eyes were the gateway to the soul and i think that's that's very much on purpose that they are used to indicate whether something is human or not because it is just determining whether or not is something has a soul through their eyes and that's why i think roy killing tyrell by ripping out his eyes is so interesting because he's essentially either ripping out his soul or determining that there is no soul Hmm. there when in, in reality that that is a god to them that is that is a god to replicants so i'm very happy you picked up on that because that is a very important thing thanks teach <laughs> yeah dude. really glad i can come back with a good I'm book very, report very very proud of you i can make you less proud by saying that overall i would put blade runner on the uh on the left side of the bell curve for movies we've watched so, it's, it's 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 in the bottom it's in the bottom half for but me. It, but is it better or worse than Jurassic Park? Honestly, it's like pretty close to Jurassic Whoa. Park level. Your your movie ranking is insane. <laughs> <laughs> I, see, I thought I could get Joey with this one because yeah. I, like I think I understand what Joey likes. Yeah, I thought this was gonna be a hit. I thought this was a surefire <laughs> oh, hit. No. I I think it is better than Jurassic Park, but probably still in the bottom 25%. See, in my mind, of the things we've watched, this is like the thing plus collateral. Like, if I had to to combine two movies we've already seen to get Blade Runner, that would be the two. Oh, fuck. Um, Well... Here's to myself, which is a weird thing to say. Let me just pat myself on the back for being wildly unpredictable. Yeah, I thought we were going to cancel the podcast after this. Like, all right, we figured out what Joey likes. Let's call it a day. I, 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 did, I didn't really like, – like I said, like I, I think that I picked up enough about the movie to be able to like talk about it with you all mm-hmm. and like have an interesting discussion. But th- it just has to lose so many points because I was – genuinely really struggling to watch I, it. I know this will never happen, but I do recommend rewatching it someday. <laughs> I feel like it is, it does, it grew a lot for me in my second watching. It sounds like the same was true for you, Nick. So yeah, I feel for like, sure. I feel like I, having seen it gives you a lot more to watch. If I ever find the, the, if I ever stumble across it, I won't be opposed to it. Okay. Like, I don't think I'm going to go seek it out, but if it's presented to me as like a thing, I'll be like, mm-hmm. okay. I feel I feel like I'm up, especially because it did help you two so much. And maybe I would come back around and be like, "Oh, I really like this," or like, "Oh, like I had I don't need to pay such laser focus attention." Um, 
But uh, I know a lot of people in Discord were actually asked trying to get me to uh, watch 2049 also so I can, like, make light commentary on that and, like, compare the two because yeah. a lot of people are interested in that. But after watching Blade Runner, I had no will to watch 2049. If, if it makes you feel better, 2049 was made, like, two years ago. Yeah. So it it's, is... It's structured and paced, I think, more modernly if that's something you care about i don't know if it's something i care about i think that's yeah. still like a because i because I, I feel like i should be able to appreciate the artistry mm -hmm. of of blade runner and i just didn't and maybe that's because i don't like uh, but but, but I feel like I should be able to. Mm -hmm. Maybe I just think that I'm, like, you know, fancier than I am. And I'm like, oh, I can I can have a nice bottle of wine and coffee and consume high art. <laughs> but in reality, oh, yeah, man. But in reality, I'm just actually a, 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 a slummy. No, I don't think that's the case at all. And um, I, th I recommend revisiting it with a very strong drink in hand. And I think that's an appropriate <laughs> way of experiencing this movie again. Did they intentionally make futuristic new looking black label bottles? Yes. I I don't know why I thought that was so important. Also fun fact, uh iWorks the store didn't exist, but there's a sign for this fictional building in Blade Runner and iWorks the company named their company after the oh, sign really? of Blade Runner. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. Wow, they had a Hollywood <laughs> Art director designed their logo, which yep. is pretty neat. Also, Pan Am doesn't exist anymore, but Coca-Cola still going yeah. strong. It looks exactly like that. <laughs> How did you feel about the giant Atari logo? <laughs> oh, I did notice that. I'm like, wow, they really they they missed on a couple of these. <laughs> they like should have been Nintendo. Right? They were probably safe bets at the time, yeah. but just you know, hey, you know, like they missed. But um, I think that does it for my movie. I think it's on to call. I think that uh we're actually going to release the next podcast schedule wise on christmas oh boy so i think that you clued me into that it's going to be like a christmas-esque movie yeah so what's i mean what are we going with and is it die hard <laughs> it is not die hard okay i don't know if i'm happy or sad about that <laughs> it is not a wonderful life we're gonna watch black christmas a 74 uh, horror movie that is being remade this year it's coming out uh i didn't know it was being remade. Mm -hmm. I also didn't know that this was a movie. It's Canadian. It's fine. <laughs> but some Canadian things are cool, like Sheryl Crow <laughs> and Justin Bieber. And um... uh, Black Christmas is cool. It's just small. I have never seen Black Christmas, and mm -hmm. it's always been on my list of I'll watch it eventually. So now I have the excuse. So until then, the next one, go watch Black Christmas from 1974. Track it down. I believe it's on Shudder, so go ahead and check that out if you have Shudder. But until next time, goodbye. Thanks, y'all.